Hello, and welcome to the Project Good podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Hilton. Project Good is a social impact podcast interviewing experts and advocates about the pressing problems that we face globally and hearing how they suggest we move forward in the future. The Project Good podcast is brought to you by Project Good Work. The goal of this podcast is to inspire people and organizations to develop a mindset that can move others to positive action regarding the complex social issues facing people and the planet. For our special edition, we're talking about the fourth stakeholder. In the past three years, people in many parts of the world are examining how they look at work and their careers since the onset of COVID-19. It was a wake-up call for the world. Many companies closed their doors or let go of their workers to save profits. Plus, in the midst of a crisis, systems that had been in place simply stopped. For the first time, people asked, who's in charge? Workers no longer were willing to continue on their same hamster wheel paths as before. Instead, it awakened a new level of required responsibility for companies if they want to exist in the future. To discuss the new level of framework companies need for the future, I have the pleasure of interviewing Victor Cho, who is a former CEO of Evite, the leading digital event service provider with a wide array of free, easy-to-use invitation designs and inspiration party planning tools. The company has sent over 2 billion event invitations in its history enabling approximately 3 billion unique face-to-face connections. Recently, Mr. Cho stepped away from Evite to create a larger impact in the world with his fourth stakeholder project, where he looks at how companies and businesses can take a more holistic approach to business. Let's get into the interview. The year 2020 sped by and created a need for a revolution in how we look at work in society. Technology makes it easier to work anywhere in the world. And according to the Global Workplace Analytics, the number of people who work from home has risen by 159% since 2009. Technology continues to drive and bring society closer together. And it's predicted that by 2028, 73% of all teams will include remote employees. With such significant shifts in the way we work taking place in the next six years, the role of leadership becomes crucial to review. It is becoming clear to companies that they must start preparing now, and the people in leadership positions will need to adjust to sustain success for their organizations. Stepping up to help clear the flaw is Victor Cho, who is examining all stakeholders stakeholders in our world's future and what and what it means to have a seat at the table. Welcome, Victor. So nice to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, so I'm so excited about this discussion. And what I usually do is before I start interviewing everyone, I like to know a little bit of um, uh, kind of get how they think and a little bit of personal insight into who they are as a person. And so I wanted to know, um, since you've uh, stepped away from Evite, um, what has been the most eye-opening experience um, that you've had? Uh, I thought mo- so it's been a little over a year. Uh, my investment partner and great friend is now running the business. I'm still on the board, so still involved. Uh, and as you mentioned in your intro, I've been spending a good chunk of my time out in the world, both kind of defining a new method of thinking about stakeholder and stakeholder balance in business, uh, but more importantly, just talking to a lot of people. <laughs> so 
I think the most amazing thing for me has just been all of those conversations and uh, just the wide spectrum of thought that's currently floating around this idea of, of businesses doing better in the world. Uh, and I'd say at a high level, I'm optimistic. Uh, I am optimistic at where the world is headed. Uh, it's, it's still very early stage, but whether it's young kids coming out of college from Princeton or you know, folks like at the uh, Conscious Capitalism, I was at their CEO summit. There's just a ton of energy that wasn't there, you know, 20 years ago, around elevating business as a force for good. So, uh, I think that's probably my 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 big one. That's uh, yeah, that's um, I, I think that's wonderful that you're taking the time to kind of really um, dive deeper and get to know. Um, people on different uh, organizations kind of an in, interpersonal level, because I think right now, as you kind of mentioned, it's that, you know, we have to, um, it's it's deeper than it used to be. Um, mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, we used to just think of go to work, make some money, go home. But now because of everything that um, has changed in regards to, you know, how technology and how we've all um, kind of uh, our, our work lives are interwoven um, you know, like one moment uh, <laughs> you might be in your kitchen uh, making yourself some uh, coffee and then you jump onto a Zoom meeting and then, you know, you have to go drop off a little one and then you come back and you have to write a report. Um, and so uh, thinking about how all of that is um, weaving into each individual worker's life and um, even, uh, you know, um, executives and uh, founders and how that is all kind of uh, working and how we forward in a positive um, direction that, uh, you know, I guess keeps the machine, keeps the machine running so we don't have another uh, shutdown even without a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, I, I don't think there's been any as, as the, the, the psychological system shock that came from COVID, I think, in people's lives, uh, just in terms of shaking them to the core and saying what really is important in life. Um, I don't think there's been anything as big on a global basis. Uh, in the last, I don't know, maybe yeah, maybe one of the world wars, you know, back 50, 60 years ago. Um, but now I, I do think there has has been this epiphany that <laughs> there there is more to life than just you know being a mercenary and making as much money as possible. And there a lot of things matter. So I think it's one of the positive aspects of COVID. Yes, and so I guess what took you on this? Uh, I guess let's start setting up the story. What took you on this journey to create um, the four stakeholder project? What um, I guess turned in your heart? Yeah, so I've I've always been uh, a believer in stakeholder balance in business. I was lucky enough to get exposed to it uh, very early in my career. My first big job at Microsoft, actually, back in the '90s. Uh, they didn't use the language of stakeholders, but they absolutely were focused on of course the shareholder you know one of the most profitable companies actually i think they were the most profitable company at the time on the planet uh but more importantly they you know they had an employee focus as a stakeholder that was you know it, it set the foundation of what you see now with facebook and google and apple and all the other companies you know microsoft was one of the first to say hey we're gonna let you come in and work whenever you want it's going to be flexible we're going to give you an incredible environment you know, here's a kitchen with like you know just it wasn't free you know discounted food uh, so I saw the power of that uh, on the employee base in terms of driving the business, and at Intuit, which was one of my uh, roles, you know, ten years after, uh, I saw the power of customer as a stakeholder, 
And Intuit actually used that language very explicitly. They said, look, we're, as a business, we exist to balance all of the stakeholders. And, and they had entire, what I call operational engines to make sure that you know, the business was focused on both the customer and the shareholder and the employees. So I've always that had, had that in my, uh, in my deep DNA that that's how a business needs to operate. The social angle, I'd say it came from that's just a, a deep personal belief that if you have achieved any kind of success in life, and I would absolutely put any you know senior business executive in that bucket, uh, if you've achieved success, you've you've achieved that success on the shoulders of society. right? It's not just you doing all the work. And so you have an obligation to make sure that whatever system you're in control in is not doing harm in the society and even better is actually doing something. Uh, giving something back. So, kind of the combination of those two thoughts led me to, hey, if you know, if if we're really going to talk stakeholder balance, you need that fourth stakeholder. You need society to be part of that mix in a very explicit way. Yes, and explaining these uh, so stakeholders. Um, you know, uh, normally when we hear the word stakeholder, um, we're thinking of uh, you know large companies with uh, shares and things like that. Um, but can you explain um, each of the stakeholders, uh, I guess the one through three and number four, um, so that uh, our audience can understand uh, how you're referring to uh, the different stakeholders? Oh, of course, of course. So the, fir- the very first stakeholder, uh, I would call uh, the finance, the shareholders, uh, or the folks that are providing financing for the business. So it's the it was probably the earliest of the stakeholders, because in the beginning of business, it was really all about just building a a business that could survive, right? People, investors would put in money and the thing they cared about was, is this thing gonna give me more money back? So shareholder return. So that's the the biggest, the longest lived uh, and has been up until, and you know, probably still is today, it is the dominant stakeholder in terms of how a business operates. Uh, so shareholders are kind of number one. In the more recent timeframe, the customer, the customer that the business served, serves has really risen as an important stakeholder. So. There's been a wave of um, not science, but approaches and methodologies uh, for companies to really build better customer experiences over the last 30 or 40 years. Um, I think there's there's no CEO today <laughs> that would say, oh yeah, no, the only thing I have to do is make money and my co- my product can be horrible, right? Of course, because then the customers are going to fail. So uh, customers <laughs> yeah. are strong, number two, and they came second, I'd say, in the in the sequencing. Uh, the third, and this is, yeah, I'd say this is like in the last 30 or 40 years, the employee as a stakeholder in a very explicit way, uh, the entire employee group uh, that runs the business um, is getting an increasingly large voice in, in how the business is run, which is wonderful, All right? So it's no longer, I mean, there are still companies that will absolutely you know, take advantage of abuse and pay their employees the absolute minimum as possible. Um, and you still see those, but increasingly companies are viewing their employees as a critical stakeholder. Like they need an engaged employee base. They need high retention. They need to bring in good talent. So uh, they're thinking about that deeply. So th- those are the first three and that's where most businesses spend all their energy. Uh, society, right? Kind of the, the broad, you know, the, all the externalities of your business is the fourth, right? And that can include your suppliers. It includes the environment. It includes downstream impacts that your business might be having on partners, uh, the community, but it's it's this large amorphous stakeholder, which is why it's been complex to bring it into a business operations uh, frame. But it is again increasingly. I think we're seeing now uh, with the waves of ESG, etc. It's becoming 
uh, an important stakeholder to balance and manage. So that's the, I refer to it as the fourth stakeholder uh, to, to make the point that it needs to be explicitly brought into the business and operationalized, just like the first three. Yes. And, um, you know, this, this new stakeholder or the fourth stakeholder um, uh, society um, definitely uh, in this, I guess we'll just say 2020 revolution, all this, I'm, I'm using the word revolution. I know it incites uh, people, but it really is. We are, <laughs> we are in a time of revolution, even if you're not out there marching and, uh, you know, uh, literally fighting. Uh, uh, it is a, it's a revolution even in uh, your mind. Um, and, you know, the, simply the word revolution means to turn and change. Um, and so, uh, you know, people are having this whole mind shift. And if companies don't um, start, uh, you know, I guess for lack of better terms, understanding the psychology of the individual employee and how um, it relates um, to the company with their lives outside of the everyday, um, because, you know, each individual uh, human, you know, uh, has their own, uh, what I call like life story, right? Um, we each have uh, different things that we're dealing with, different backgrounds, all of that. And we bring those into the jobs that we, we have. And then now with this added layer of um, changes that happened in a very short time, um, you know, it has uh, caused, um, uh, you know, uh, people not only to think differently, but as we see <laughs> out in here on the television, everything act <laughs> differently. Um, yeah. So we have, uh, I guess we could even call it, uh, some people are referring to it as human point and 2.0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so people have changed. They're not what they used to be. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, companies have to be aware that they are not dealing with the same person that they had pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, to totally so, agree. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so uh, to, to include that, that is, you know, I think um, one of the things intrigued me and wanted, uh, I wanted to have this interview with you is that so many companies are not um, you know, stepping and taking this look that you have, um, that you're, you know, um, uh, now, um, you know, uh, uh, selling or giving people information about, but it is so critical in order for us to keep, um, you know, thriving in the regards to business as a society. And so, you know, um, I guess if you were going to, like, if you're consulting, um, different companies, what do you think that they um, should consider um, moving forward with this like new human 2.0? Yeah, so my uh, you know my my observation of what's happening in the you know in the world of business is like you know there's a lot of good intent. There are a lot of acronyms that are floating in, um, and a lot a lot of different frameworks around how you as a business. Um, operate a little bit better. And, and so I'll just throw out some terms that are very common out in the land, in the language these days. You know, it, you know, does your, is it a purpose-driven business, right? Is there a, is a strong social purpose behind it? Uh, there's a wave of something called ESG, uh, environment, uh, social governance, which is a long list of things that a company needs to do uh, to be sure that it's got a good environmental footprint, um, is treating the society well, um, dealing with social issues, et cetera. 
there's a UN. Uh, the UN has released a, a, a list of, you know, I think it's over a hundred things that are important to the world, and signing up businesses to right to to sponsor or be part of those things. And so the you know the challenge that I see as an operator, because I've you know I've been operating businesses for thirty years, is that's a lot of great. Every one of those things is great, but you know your biggest challenge as a CEO is to figure out where do I put my finite resources for the biggest impact. Uh, and so I see a lot of what I'd call shotgun of people doing lots of things, but they're not necessarily the most important things. Uh, they're not necessarily the things that are going to have the highest impact. And so uh, I think my macro, <laughs> my biggest macro comment to everybody is you can't do everything. Uh, you need to figure out what is going to be the highest impact, either benefit that you can create or what is the biggest harm that you're actually generating as a business? And you need to attack those and resource those things first um, with the feedback uh, loop from society in place. Um, yeah, if I had to describe my whole set of uh, papers and articles in, in kind of two lines, it would be that. Uh, so yeah, no, that that's uh, I think that's the first thought that comes to mind uh, from your question. Yeah, and then you know one of the things. This is what I always um, and and this might be I might be the the playing kind of the devil's advocate a little mm -hmm. bit, but there are a lot of companies that are like, um, and I, I understand how people are like, well, why should I be taking responsibility for society? I'm just trying to you know do my business. Mm -hmm. No, no, I'm no that uh, absolutely, and that is you know it's funny, yeah, capitalism's been around for. In its you know, current corporate incarnation, you could argue, you know, with the beginning of the East India Company back in like the 1600s, I think. So call it five or you know, 500 years of capitalism, which has been grounded in an ethos um, of that, which is, hey, the, you know, the only thing that matters is that I make a healthy business, right? Make a profit, like just leave me alone. <laughs> Nothing else should matter, um, and that's permeated the psychology of business forever. You know, when I left. Uh, I went to uh, a business school called Wharton. When I went, when I left Wharton, I, you know, I very I remember very vividly. I had been trained literally. I can see the paragraph, you know, on the page, saying like the role of an executive in business is to maximize shareholder value. That's the only role that you have. And so we have this huge cohort of people that say, yeah, that, that's that's my job, right? It's just to make money, just make this thing make money, and then and that's all that need. That's all that's needed. Um, at the surface, that sounds logical. Um, I like to make parallels and just use a metaphor of a, of a town uh, because businesses at the end of the day are kind of like people. So you know, imagine you made a city <laughs> and you filled it with people and you said, hey, everybody, guess what? You know, you know, we, we want to have a great city and really all you need to do in terms of all your behavior is make as much money as possible. You know, that would be a terrible city to live in if you think about it. Like nobody would be helping anybody Unless there was a financial interest, um, people would be doing you know whatever they could to make the buck, you know, even if it damaged their neighbors, right? Because it's like, oh, I don't care if that if hurts somebody else. And so that's, you know, as an operating as the highest level operating principle for business, that can't be the sustained model, but that's kind of the model we have been in. So it's just it needs to it needs to shift, um, and you know it's going to take a long time. It'll take decades, uh, maybe more. Right, for the for the fundamental mindset of what is a business, like what is its role in society? Um, and is it just to maximize right profit and be healthy? Or is it no, it's actually a citizen. You know, I like to use this term business citizen. It's a citizen in the world community and needs to act as a good citizen. 
Yes, you. when you were talking, it reminded me, and I forget what year it was or what years, um, but uh, France, um, this is uh, you know, way back when, I don't know if this is like uh, before the um, Industrial Revolution or around it, I forget, but they had made it that, um, you know, people were working, um, I think it was like uh, uh, every day of the week with no time off, and mm-hmm. um, they it ended up, um, uh, you know, uh, making everyone in the society sick um, yeah. because, you know, everybody was uh, just focused on like, we got to, we got to just work, 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 work. And, um, you know, uh, people forgot about the other aspects of uh, living. And, you know, um, that's really, in in my opinion, what 2020 did. Um, ironically, or, you know, um, you know, we don't plan the future, but I guess the future knew that it would pick the year 2020 to give us clear vision <laughs> of, <laughs> yeah. of uh, you know, of what, what we had really created on this planet. And yeah. it was the moment, the only moment I believe that, uh, well, we know it's the only moment that we've experienced, uh, you know, in modern times that we literally hit the, the, the stop button. Um, and it also, you know, I have to say from a personal aspect, scared me a little bit um, that we could just, essentially almost like just pull the plug and and everything literally stopped we we know we mm-hmm. uh, no more flights no more anything and it made me think well well what is this what are we what are we in <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> because if we can just push a button in you know a few days and make everything stop and you know uh, life's changes well you know it's kind of like my introduction like who really is in charge, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. You know, are we in charge of ourselves? Um, are we just like, you know, these, these uh, you know, um, uh, as everybody thinks, uh, cogs in a machine? And we, mm-hmm. you know, and now we, we realize that, uh-oh, like, you know, we've been tricked or something. Um, it really, uh, you know, for me, I, I started thinking, well, if we can just do simple things like that, then we're, we're choosing um, to make, our society um the way it is in this like um in this like sickness of just you know um me 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 and uh uh, and we're just we're not thinking about you know the impact and so now we've been you know uh i was putting uh in terms of like we were grounded (laughs) literally we were Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and now we had to look at what the 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 horrible things that we had done and yeah. you know, and it was just, and it was just coming to us. Like I would never, ever want to be like grounded like that again. <laughs> yes. It's like it was just shocking. It was like, oh, okay, now there's like you know this climate crisis. Oh my gosh, now there's people off the streets. I would test. Now there's oh my gosh. Okay, I'm sorry. That's what, you know. That's why I was thinking. Like I know I was a bad kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy to think how many. It's crazy to think how much stress came into the world in that like two. There was like this three-year window between yeah, between COVID, the political environment. Yeah, I remember here. I live in I live in uh, 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 south of San Francisco. Uh, we had these crazy wildfires where I, you know we walked outside. The sky yes. was, was deep red, like there was smoke everywhere. It was like the it's like yes, the apocalypse. But you couldn't pictures. go anywhere because it yes, was COVID. Exactly the the pictures I saw online. It looked like it looked like the apocalypse. I was like, oh, yeah. San Francisco does not look like it's been good. No, it, 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 yes. a, it was a crazy time. It was a crazy time. Yes, and so 
you know, um, in that like uh, major wake up call, you know, uh, the thing that shocks me is after we spent a year of like every day being like, uh, like you got, um, you know, sucked into the twilight zone. Um, I would have thought that that would have, uh, you know, made people start quote unquote straightening up. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but we, but we find that it still did not make, you know, some people, uh, you know, wake up. So how do we, how do we start changing the mindsets of people, um, uh, you know, to yeah. start uh, thinking about the impact of, that they make in the world differently. I, I don't know. Like, I thought that would shock anybody. A, you know, I I'm I think I'm a little more optimistic in that I because these things change, just these changes take so long. But you know, there are some signals for sure that I think point to a fundamental mindset change. Um, so definitely, you know, you know, and I see this on the recruiting side, you know, as we were hiring people, like the, the percentage of employees that were looking for more meaningful work and how that became and is becoming a much more important component of their job search, I think has gone up, way up. So I'm a, I'm a member of a bunch of executive councils, right? And a lot, of, you know, there are a lot of people in those councils that are actually at this stage, and these are, you know, very senior folks and organizations, you know, some fairly large companies. Um, you know, they're all rethinking like, hey, is this is this all there is? <laughs> or is this, you know, do I want to go do something more meaningful? So, you know, they haven't switched their jobs yet, but, you know, they have, they are, they're going to switch. Um, there's a large chunk that are going to start moving into things that they feel have a greater impact. So, you know, that was just one thought. And then just the other day I saw, you know, America is the country of workaholics. We have the, you know, I think the highest level of you know per hour per capita working hours and it has not moved forever and it's starting to come down um so like the and this article specifically talked about um you know white executive males as a cohort because it had just tracked that but you know that was down by like four hours four to five hours um, a week which according to this article that's the first time they'd ever see it go down <laughs> it had been just high forever uh and so i you know i'm i'm hopeful that people find a little bit more balance uh, a little bit more purpose in what they do for you know what is you know a third of their waking time or a third of their t total time yeah but hit the yes um so with this you know new look at how people are um you know thinking about them themselves and you know the the personal impact that they make in, uh, you know, their jobs in society. How would you suggest then, um, one of the big things, as uh, I'm sure you've seen, is there's the the thing of called the big quit, right? Where people are just like, mm -hmm. you know, audios <laughs> to their, their job. Um, and how do then companies that want to continue to thrive and attract employees, um, how do you think they should be, I guess, going about their recruitment efforts differently than they have in the past? Yeah, well, I, I think for any any company in particular, yeah, no, actually, I was going to say it's if it's beyond just hiring a younger work cohort. Yeah, I, I think any any company that needs to hire anybody or retain anyone at this stage needs to have a strong message around how they are a good business citizen or becoming a better good business citizen. I think I think businesses that are operating in what I call that business mercenary mode. And I define that by that old archaic, you know, the only thing that matters is, right, is corporate profit. Um, companies that operate in that mode are going to have a very hard time retaining and hiring people. And you can only, 
you know, you can't, uh, you can't fake that. Like, you know, you know, yeah, maybe there's small things you can do like, oh, but we're donating this, you know, a small fraction of our profits to this charity, aren't we great? But, you know, if, if on the day-to-day -day basis, the employees look at your business and see you're creating massive societal harm and you're not doing anything about it, right? Uh, or you're, maybe you're not doing as much as you could, right, to help, um, they, they'll know, they'll know. So it's, you know, I think, I think my short answer is that you need to walk the walk. Like people need to move out of this business mercenary mindset and actually, whether it's you know applying my framework to how they operate or one of the many other methods of elevating their business citizenship, right? They need to do that and they need to you know be public about it. Uh, I, uh, as one case in point, right? Facebook is having a really hard time holding and recruiting um, good talent because they have not gotten on top of some of their biggest social impacts in terms of disinformation spread, in terms of you know potential teen depression. Like there's a lot, there's huge smoke coming out of the ecosystem that is Facebook. <laughs> Um, and they're not on top of it. So until they do, they're going to have a very hard time with talent. Yes. Uh, speaking of, of Facebook, um, you know, I was thinking uh, those are some uh, first time and unusual problems <laughs> for mm -hmm. companies to, to have to face because they are dealing with, um, uh, you know, um, I guess you. I guess we'll just use the word exploitation of minds conflict. <laughs> if that makes yeah. And so you know, uh, and I think never, never before <laughs> as a company had to be like uh, face such kind of accusations and um, and problems of that. It's like uh, the they have to face the the problem of um, they're messing up employees' psychology. And so um, yeah. <laughs> well, that to me would be like the hardest, hardest thing to overcome because how do you even, um, you know, approach that because each individual is wired so differently. Yeah. No, no, it's, so it's funny. I, when I talk about this topic, I, I have a slide and I do fundamentally believe this, like no, no business, no founder creates a business to burn the world down. Right, and to and just abuse society. So when you know, Facebook in its formation was all about an amazing purpose, right? Connecting people around the world, right? And building those connections. And it was an amazing vision. Uh, and what the reality though is as businesses get larger, there are what are called second order impacts, right? Like these systems that get built have potentially unanticipated consequences and the businesses that create them absolutely need to get on top of them you know that's the big flaw um uh, that i see and i you know it's funny i, I equate it to you know, people you ask people what's the worst business industry in history and a lot of people will say well the cigarette companies because they're killing millions of people around the world right even the cigarette companies didn't start knowing their product was killing people right back in the 1800s people loved it was just a great product right the, the business was like hey let's this makes us feel good. Wait, we don't think there's anything wrong with it. Let's just build a business around it. So, you know, even those guys didn't realize the downstream effects. Now, of course, over time, it became very clear that those things were, you know, cigarettes are horrendous for health. And then, then they operated in pure mercenary mode <laughs> of, okay, we're going to hide this. We're going to, you know, shelve the research. We're going to keep this thing alive as long as possible. So, you know, they absolutely failed later on in the cycle. But no, to your point, these, you know, these, these problems often crop up after the businesses have gotten to some semblance of scale, uh, which does make it a little bit harder to address, but they're, they're the only ones that could address them, right? It's, it's, it's either that or you wait for regulation, which is uh, kind of the current model. 
But that's, yes. that's just way too slow. <laughs> yes. And speaking of um, uh, regulations and, um, yes, and speaking um, uh, in the case of regulations, how do you think that um, uh, companies or governments sh- uh, should shape uh, or maybe you don't think uh, it should shape uh, policies to include some of the four stakeholder elements. I guess yeah. let's first ask, do you think that governments and companies should um, have policies that go for the four stakeholder elements? And then we can uh, kind of talk about what that would look like. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I'm mean, Literally just this this week, I've had a couple of conversations with folks around here. What, kind, what is the role of government to mandate things like um, social responsibility within the business sector, uh, and you know, I don't think I've formulated my opinion yet on the best method. Um, there's there's pros and cons. Um, there's pros and cons to government doing anything because the the world just moves so fast, and so the the big con of government getting involved is that that we'll come up with something and then it gets fixed, and it's just not fast enough, right? Because the world is moving so fast. What what we really do need. Yeah, at the highest level, really, what we need is the government to basically say, you know, you know, every business, you're going to be a good citizen, which is just too amorphous and not data driven, not quantifiable. So, like, there's no regulation that you could put in to say, yeah, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be a good person, basically, in this world. Uh, that being said, I I do think there may be things uh, that can get introduced in some of the more formal structures of government. So, yeah, one tactical example that I've been toying with is yeah, there's a, uh, yeah, yeah, all of the investor. Uh, um, kind of formal documents that go in for larger companies include a, a statement of risks, like what are you doing to mitigate your financial risks? What are you doing to mitigate your environmental risks? That type of thing. So, you know, there might be ways to incorporate some of the thinking in there, but I, yeah, my gut says it's not a big role that government plays, um, and that it's more something that is a it's like a it's a societal ethos, right? That. In the same way, the government never said to companies, your fundamental goal is just to maximize shareholder profit, right? That wasn't a government mandate or regulation. It just is how the society thought of this whole tier of industry. And that can that can morph and change over time, I hope. Yes. Um, you know, there's this, uh, I'm sure you've heard about it, and it's a, it's a growing thing. It um, reminds me of uh, like social scores. I'm sure you've heard about the, you know, each person having like their social score and that'd mm-hmm. be like um, having your credit um, online. And so um, I was reading an article um, some time ago of kind of having companies have social scores as well yeah. as uh, with people. And I guess, um, do you think that would be a, a, a a good thing, a bad thing, or maybe just backfire because, you know, there's always uh, those people, of course, that just want to ruin everything and get out there and be like, I hate every company. I hate everything. And then they ruin everybody's <laughs> social scores. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you know, it's, 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 that's, that's also a really tricky one. Um, I can, there are many social scores that will actually do the opposite of what's needed because they're not constructed in the right way and instead they'll just measure an arbitrary list of things right and give you a score uh but that's not what we need right the if a score let me put it this way a, sc- a social score can work if that score is measuring more cus- companies behaviors right so if it were to capture the answer to this question which is like have you identified all of your major second order harms and are you working to rectify those and do you have a plan like if that can get incorporated into the score, then I think a score can be very powerful. If the score is nothing more than a checklist against a list of things, like how are you doing on 
you know, carbon footprint, how are you doing on diversity, et cetera, then I think it it's still good in that, right, it's going to drive some of those behaviors, but it will not lead the business to tackle the biggest things that are most important. Uh, and just, you know, one example of that, you know, that, you know not that it, you know, we'll plug on Facebook the whole time, but Facebook's a great example. Like you could envision a world where Facebook gets a great score on those things because it turns its servers green and it has a diverse workforce, but it hasn't fixed, right? What is arguably the most important thing, which is what is what what are social networks doing in terms of disinformation, propaganda spread, depression, right? And in my mind, you you can't you know, you should not be able to get the green light on social score unless you have attacked that thing. So uh, again, it, it can work if it's structured in the right way, more around behaviors and less on specific elements. If that makes sense. Yes. No. That makes the uh, you know that makes perfect sense. It kind of reminds me of. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, I'm going to say it and I know people are going to be like, ah, um, but it kind of reminds me of like affirmative action, <laughs> um, that, you know, uh, in some ways, uh, this is my personal opinion. I'm going to know, um, that some ways in it, it backfires in, in, uh, you know, people go, okay, we did this, we did this, we did this, mm -hmm. but then there's the, um, the everyday interactions um, that aren't uh, equating to that, uh, you know, the um, people moving moving forward as uh, that was supposed to be in place. Like sometimes putting um, uh, rules and regulations in place like that kind of uh, make people just like use it as a checkbox, but they don't really look at the, um, you know, how did we get here or why did we get here or what is it really doing? Um, all yeah. of that is kind of lost in it because we're just yeah. like, okay, um, we did this kind of like a grocery uh, grocery list. Yeah, totally, totally. That's that, yeah, that's my fear, and I do see some of those metrics forming that are in that grocery list mode, and I'm like, ooh, that's not good. Uh, yeah, again, I go back to that citizen metaphor. Like, imagine you're in a town, and you're trying to figure out if people are good citizens. And, you know, on one hand, you got a checklist of, okay, you know, did they take out their garbage? Like, do they have a good job? Are they donating to charity, right? So there's that. That's the tactical list, and you could look at that and say, "Oh, yeah, they're a good person, maybe." <laughs> yeah, yeah but, maybe. But, but, but maybe not, right? Like the better list <laughs> is something like, "Hey, is this person willing to, you know, sacrifice some of his own time to help the community, right? Um, has this person, uh, is this person doing anything that's causing significant harm to the community?" Um, that they're not on top of, right? The, and those things are are way more amorphous. But you know, the problem is the world. The world just likes to measure stuff, right? They like these quantifiable things. And you know, this is actually not in my articles, but I should probably add it, right? That this idea of citizenry is never going to be a measure, a single measure, uh, a single checklist, uh, because of that. Which is which is why it's hard. It's that's a that's why it's hard to 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 treat society as an actual stakeholder because it is uh, more amorphous. Yeah, and so that you know, um, you brought up something that is making me think and think and think. Um, this, and I'm going to go from the practical standpoint, as if uh, uh, from a company owner or a leader of a company, that um, <laughs> I would just respond, and this is me in a bluntness, would be like, "But I don't have time for all this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, just the simply, you know, that's you know. If, uh, that's what I would think that I would get a feedback from a lot yeah. of stuff is they're like, sounds good and well and everything, but I don't have time for this. I just don't, you know, and the, and then you want me to, you know, keep a company where I mean, we got to be profitable, got to like hire yeah. diverse, you know, like I, I just, 
I, I don't have time for it, right? That's what I, I believe a lot of, uh, you know, company people will say. Um, and so, you know, how do we, how do we make this practical? Because this is, you know, we're, we're blending in uh, two elements. One that I would say is, you know, uh, this, um, you know, we have to do practicality and logical uh, and logic, you know, um, being step A, step B. Mm -hmm. And then now we're being asked in this new fourth stakeholder to blend in that um, I'm just going to call it the feelings or the the fluffy, you know, the, the um, you know, um, yeah, I guess feelings, the feelings. And usually in business, um, at least this is, and I'm, you know, maybe dating myself, but you know, I was just always taught, like, you know, put the feelings aside. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so now this new this new world asks is asking us to somehow figure out how do we tie feelings and business together. Yeah. Yeah. So, so two thoughts on that. Well, one is, uh, I think if it were purely left to the role of feel to the realm of feelings, we'd be in a world of pain. Because I co I completely agree. That's just way too arbitrary. <laughs> So one thing that's actually uh, it's, it's in the a set of the articles that I put out is that there are ways to quantify fuzziness, right? In a way that's not precise but directional, right? So you can, as a business, figure out like what what is the largest impact that I'm having, let's say, uh, negative impact that I'm having based on like how many people is it impacting, right? How serious is the thing? Are you killing a thousand people or ten thousand people, or are you, right, you know, polluting something that's creating some you know, killing a thousand fish. Well, a thousand people is way worse. Killing a thousand people is way worse than killing a thousand fish, right? So there's a there's a way to get it down to a measured impact, which can help you make the decisions. Um, is is thought number one. But you know, going back to your other one of of it's hard. Uh, you know, my message is absolutely it's it's hard. And the executives and leaders that can balance multiple stakeholders that is a higher order skill. Right there are there are many people who would do fine in a world of optimized shareholder, that are going to have a hard time with those trade offs, and I think maybe maybe this is one of the most important messages. We should not put those people into positions of power if they can't do the balance, because there are absolutely people that have the leadership skills and the system complexity to be able to think about employees and customers. Right, they're already doing it with three. Right, employees, customers, and shareholders have a lot of trade offs. So a business that's working with just the first three stakeholders already has that DNA. Now you're just adding a fourth. It's not a, it's not a quantum state change in complexity. It's yet adding one more stakeholder to the table if you do it right. So, you know, my my thought would be, I I hope what we see over time is that our bar for leadership goes way up. Right, the people that we put onto the into the you know, as CEOs in these companies that need to be able to demonstrate that they can do this. Because if they don't, then they're just going to degrade back to mercenary behavior because it's easy it's actually easier it's way easier to run a business as a mercenary yes <laughs> yes um it, it reminded me i don't know that's gonna sound weird weird tangent it reminded me of captain hook <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh yeah, yeah no exactly yes i love that <laughs> yeah throw him to the where's that alligator it's thrown over or the crocodile yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> That's yeah, it is easier. That. Just yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. I would. It'd be easier to just be like, I'm done from the crocodile next. Yes. So, you know, uh, yeah. So this does come to the whole thing of we need to pick better leaders in the future and leadership. Then, um, you know, in this new decade, is being redefined. I would say. 
yes. it's being redefined and it's a I guess it's a good thing that people should be embracing this new take on leadership and that um you know maybe people now who were trying to run to be a leadership position now they should examine themselves really mm -hmm. deeply yeah um to say am i really up for this you know not only do i have to worry about you know uh profits and people but um i now have to worry about you know um my uh I was going to say feeling, but I can't really put that in P. I was trying to go P's, P's, P's. But, um, <laughs> but I guess, uh, <laughs> uh, um, and, uh, you know, people's perspectives and, uh, yeah. you know, um, and how they, how they feel, which is, you know, it's a huge challenge. And yeah. uh, so I think, yes, um, you're 110% right. Uh, leadership and who our leaders needs to be examined very closely in order for um, companies and organizations to move forward um, in the future in a, a in a positive way. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one. And you know what? I'm 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 like trying to think really deeply. Do I know or can think of anyone <laughs> that can do this? Um, maybe, but I, you know, I'm not an insider. It's just because I, um, a, a, uh, you know, maybe like, um, um, uh, what is it? Um, and, uh, uh, Sean Connery kind of, uh, uh, it always reminds me of is, is Branson, the only one, but I don't know, you know, I've not been inside uh, of his okay. company yep. that seems to come off that way. That's, you know, his image, um, that, you know, he's able to be profitable, um, and also personable, um, yeah. to, uh, staff, you know, uh, this is the image I'm not inside, but, uh, that's the only person I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, 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 yeah, the good news is the good news is cause I do interact with a ton of senior execs. Um, there are a gazillion out there that have the DNA to balance, uh, in, in what I call the stakeholder world. Uh, they can do the complexity now. The, the the change now is they just need to bring that fourth stakeholder in in a more explicit way. Um, they've been, I think, there hasn't been a great um, process to do that, which is the the whole reason I wrote my articles. But I know I'm very bullish that once people um, make the mental leap of, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to bring in society as a stakeholder, like show me how that engine runs. Uh, that 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 there's a ton out there that yeah maybe you know they don't have the brand. Uh, cachet of a Branson, but they're out there. They're out there in spades, uh, which is which makes me more optimistic. Yes. And so in closing, um, let me see here. I'm trying to think about, I guess, if we were to, uh, I guess, paint an ideal picture. I think that's the great, the perfect way to close uh, because I think people need to be able to uh, visualize in order to make it a reality. So if all your stakeholders were working correctly, yeah. what would that look like? Oh, yeah. So the future world of the, where we should be. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> uh, it actually impacts every layer of society, which is why I do think it is, you know, it's decades and decades of change. But well, we'll start with investors. Um, investors increasingly are investing in companies that are good citizens and they're penalizing companies that are not acting as good citizens uh, independent of how much return they're making right so they maybe they give a little bit of return off the table because they like it's the equivalent of you know investing in a cigarette companies we have precedent right there are many investors who would not invest in those businesses so it's just we just need to expand that concept of citizenship you know boards that are you know hiring ceos and holding them accountable and incenting them 
need to make sure that the CEO at the end of the day is running the business under a balanced stakeholder, including all four stakeholder model, right? Therefore, the CEO and the executive team need the skills to be able to actually operate the business that way. The employees in the company, I think, need to use their power as a stakeholder and say, hey, not only do you need to treat us well, but we're only going to work for businesses, right, that are actually treating customers and society well, right? Uh, customers, like further down the chain, should only, you know, at some point, will only buy from responsible companies. You're actually seeing this. This is maybe one of the fastest ways this happening now. The, the younger cohort of customers are both paying a premium and redirecting their dollars into brands that are more responsible, which is actually amazing. It's going to help the whole flywheel move faster. Uh, and then the last one would be the education system, uh, which I'm also fairly bullish on. Right, needs needs to indoctrinate the next wave of executives coming out that it's more than just shareholder return. Right? Your your role as an exec is to create a balanced stakeholder business. Um, all those things can happen over time. Uh, it's just going to be uh, it's just going to take some time. But I, I I'm optimistic we end there. We end up there uh, in the next anywhere from you know 30 to <laughs> 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> with some areas going faster. With some areas going faster. Um, Yes, yes. And, you know, and I think it may even happen um, sooner. And the only reason I say it might happen sooner is because of um, if technology continues at the rate that it's that it's been moving at, um, I think we'll be forced into that because people will be like, I don't need to be in the office. I don't need to even be in the same country. I'm doing my job. And so I think, um, you know, people are going to be faced with, okay, well, I can't make somebody do (laughs) <laughs> what I need them to do, so I'm going to have to change. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you um, so much um, for your time and insight, Victor. Uh, oh my God, no, oh no, Anne Marie, it's been my pleasure. Yes, thank you. Uh, to learn more about Victor and the Four Stakeholder, go to uh, victorcho.com/slash/four-stakeholder. If you have a passion for an unserved community, a social justice problem, or want to change minds, contact Project Good Work at projectgood.org to start your project of change today. We'd like to send our deepest gratitude to our ongoing show supporter, Blair Chapman. Subscribe to our mailing list at projectgood.org slash subscribe to get your, our episodes and blog articles sent to you each month. Plus, get a 10% discount on any project you start at projectgood.org. It's conference time, and we're hosting our first annual Changemaker Conference virtually on May 25th. Registration is now open, and each full registration includes a lifetime of membership to the Project Good Work Changemaker community. Go to www.changemakerconference.com to purchase your ticket now. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to Project Good, where we're focused on what matters. 